everyone. Hi, hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I am sitting here with comedian Amy Miller. She has a very, very funny album out on Kill Rock Stars called Solid Gold. She was voted P- Portland's funniest comic. Mm-hmm. Just Portland's funniest. Yeah. Just Portland's funniest person. person. Yeah. <laughs> In 2013 and 2015, um, she was a breakout favorite on season nine of Last Comic Standing. Keenan Ivory Wayans said... She she had one of the fiercest jokes he's ever heard, and I'm going to need to know what that joke <laughs> okay. is. She has a podcast called called Who's Your Dog? No, Who's Your God? <laughs> oh my God! Blanket apology. Dog I'm very, is my co-pilot. <laughs> I'm very pregnant right now. It is making me mix up words and just be slightly very off my game. So, Who's Your God? The reason I said Who's Your Dog though is that also she has a she's dog sitting an adorable tiny dog. <laughs> Who was in the studio. Come on, oh, man. He knew that he was being introduced. I know. <laughs> I really talked it up, told you he didn't bark, and he was quiet, which he always is, so of course. Maybe he wants to take this little... Hi! <laughs> Hello! Thanks for having Welcome. me. Welcome. Thank you for coming. So I met you... Um, I've been aware of you for a while, but I met you when we were guests on Doug Loves Movies, 12 Guests of Christmas, yes, which was a fun show. very fun. I got eliminated pretty early. Did you go on to, uh, to, I had to go on to the to podium day. Really? Yeah. yeah. How did I you do? I usually don't do that well. Well, I guess it, it ended up me and Sam Levine and Jeff Tate. So mm. yeah. Who won? Um, uh, the whole thing. I can't remember actually. I guess probably Jeff. He knows everything about movies. Jeff Tate. Yes. I was unfamiliar with him. He's very funny. He's very funny. He's a Cincinnati comedian. He does Doug's show a lot. Okay. Um, and the audience was super into him. Yeah, they love him. Um, he's on the show a lot, and he just always knows everything about movies. He's a hilarious comedian, too. But he's just like kind of a road dog. Gotcha. He's always out there touring. Gotcha. Yeah. So what is your history with John Hamm? Because you kind of had a running <laughs> well, joke with him. I met him for the first time that night. Quite taken. I mean, it's well, no, it's no surprise yeah. that he's easy on the eyes and super nice. But I mean, you it know. It is a little surprised that he's that nice. I guess so, yeah. But then to add on top of it being super funny and right. having great timing. Like, and how playful. dare you? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I met him the last time he did the 12 guests of Christmas and I sat next to him and I was just being like overly flirtatious, but then also making fun of him on the show. Cause the, <laughs> the crazy thing was he, he like the last time he really wanted to win and he was being very competitive and, you know, being like, take that or whatever. And I'm like, dude, you don't need this. Like you're John Hamm. <laughs> right. And so then it just became this running joke that I made fun of him the whole night. Uh-huh. And um, he kind of loved it. He probably, you know, I mean, he probably doesn't get insulted that often. Um, so then right. people, I think that that happens around very famous people that a lot of people become very deferential around them. Yeah. So the fact that you were like giving it to him probably yeah. <laughs> yeah. lit a fire in his he was loins. into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so this year I, as a gift, printed out my, a picture, a portrait of us 
as a prize. I really will feel so bad if this puppy poops in your home <laughs> okay. on your carpet. But I don't think that he will. He's very particular and he likes to poop on a hard surface. Okay. So oh, really? That'll That's unique. save us. Yeah. Usually they like a soft surface. No, no. He likes a hardwood floor or a cement situation. Okay. Um, I'm so sorry. No, I it's okay. I just left him in the car, but he's got these toys and thank you for that. Sure. Um. So yeah, so then John Hamm didn't remember me, which why would he? Because he's... John Hamm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so then it just became an even funnier gag because I had brought this like picture of us canoodling and he was like, I don't know who you are. But then I heard him say to you at the end, like, I'm so sorry I didn't remember you. I know. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, please don't apologize. <laughs> like, it's fine. So with Doug Loves Movies, he always says to bring a gift for the gift bag, nothing fancy. Yes. And I am repeatedly burned by this because I'm always like, okay, I'll bring nothing fancy. I'll bring some Allison Rosen is your new best friend t-shirts. Yeah. I mean, they're arguably fancy enough. Yeah. If you would like one, go to AllisonRosen.com. But then the other people brought like really cool stuff. Yeah. People kind of overdo it sometimes. But also I think like with John and like Sam Levine and stuff like they get a fair amount of just free crap yeah. from like doing movies or whatever. But I try to just be funny in my gift basket mostly. Yeah. Um, but it, none of it matters. That's just so weird. <laughs> I know. It's a, it's a cult. Yeah. It's truly a cult. But the nicest people. Yeah. The nice. fans are great. They come out in other cities always right. too. Like they just show up at shows and it's so lovely. Yeah. They're very sweet just movie nerds and i don't that's like so much of my back like i i worked in like sort of the classic like late 90s clerk style video store <laughs> in the bay area for like five years so that's those are my people so i know you you're from oakland originally yeah i was born in oakland oh, wow. but only lived there for like a year oh, okay um but still i As feel a little like baby yeah in, in a way we're <laughs> sisters oh okay you <laughs> were just a hyphy baby mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah, so how did you get into comedy? Well, I started in the Bay Area. I started... Re- oh, he, he's just sleeping in your dog's bed now, oh, so that's nice. Okay. I started relatively late, I guess, compared to most comedians. I started at 30. Um, so I started six months ago, if anyone <laughs> from Hollywood asks. Um, no, it was uh, eight years ago, and I was just like working this tech job. and um, What was the tech job? I worked for a ticketing company and I also separately had started like this music company with some friends. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, it was fine. Music company, <laughs> like a label? Um, it was, no, it was a, it wasn't even an app at the time. That's how early it was. It was a website that told you when your favorite bands were coming to town, which oh, now there's bands yeah. in town and there's song kick and a- all those guys sort of ripped off. Stole your idea. Yeah, I mean, we like worked with them for a while and then the company got bought out and then it got bought out again and whatever. Then I went to this ticketing company. So I worked in music for a long time. Um, but I had, I don't know, I sort of had like the worst year of my life. Just like a, like one of those, it's almost hilarious years of mm-hmm. just like bowling pins of tragedy and bad things happening and just life crumbling and you're like either i kill myself or i do something really wild so (laughs) comedy was the thing that i picked um and i was not alone in that because it was uh it was 2010 in the bay area so it was like deep in the middle of the recession oh that was the start of this current comedy boom that we're still kind of writing i think 
um, that hopefully we're not at the tail end of. I don't know. <laughs> Seems like it's been a lot. Um, so a lot of people lost their jobs or they were sort of at their wits end and um, started comedy kind of at the same time. So I had a lot of good company um, and there was a great scene in the Bay Area at that time. And, you know, the punchline is there. It's a great club mm-hmm. and everything. And uh, yeah, started just kind of dove into it. And I had really, really bad stage fright. Um, and that was something that had like sort of affected my entire life. Um, generalized social anxiety and stage fright. Mm-hmm. So it was something that I wanted to get over um, in my 30s. And that seemed like the craziest way to do it. So I just went to an open mic. I want to know, had you always been the funny kid? Like, had people recommended comedy to you? Had you considered comedy? But first, Mm -hmm. I need to talk to you about Fabletics. Are you familiar with Fabletics? This is Kate Hudson's uh, active wear, athletic wear. I like the designs a lot. Athleisure wear line. Uh, I didn't know, for a long time, I didn't even know that she had this company. However, knowing that she does makes me pretty excited because since I'm doing the read on my podcast, it's as if Kate Hudson and I are in business together. Sure. I think it's clear. I'm pretty. She's delightful. She's delightful. And she has good taste in affordable, trendy, stylish gym wear. Um, that by the way, you don't have to just wear it to the gym. I feel like I went my whole life not being aware that there's a whole, type of clothing marketed towards what I want, which is comfortable, but not super sloppy looking. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's all I'm ever going to wear from now on. But And a lot of people are onto this. They're onto like the yoga pants thing, etc. But usually when like, let's say Lululemon, you go to buy a pair of yoga pants, it's, um, it's a whole paycheck. And yeah. then some. Yeah. It's very expensive. The whole thing with Fabletics is that it's high quality, super comfortable, um, stylish, but it will not break the bank. It is, it is affordable. It is uh, a very accessible price point. And you guys can get two leggings. That's two pairs of leggings, four legs for only $24. <laughs> it's $99 value by going to fabletics.com slash Allison. Fabletics is your one-stop shop for athletic wear. They have yoga, running, gym gear, sports, bras, accessories, and more. Um, all designs are done in-house. You can't find these pieces anywhere else. Uh, and you can go to other stores and you won't get these prices or these pieces. Pieces and prices are exclusive. Um, so if you're anxious to get in shape and feel confident stepping into your workout routines with trendy and affordable gym wear, I highly recommend checking out Fabletics. And trust me, you do not want to miss out on their very special offer. Get two leggings, two pairs of leggings for only $24, a $99 value when you sign up as a VIP. All you have to do is go to fabletics.com slash Allison to take advantage of this deal now. That's fabletics.com slash Allison to get two pairs of leggings for only $24. That's fabletics.com slash Allison. Best part is there's no commitment to purchase monthly and free shipping on all orders over $49. Go to fabletics.com slash Allison. Again, fabletics.com slash Allison. It's going to be stuck in your head for the rest of your life. (laughs) Terms and conditions do apply. Okay. So yeah, had you considered comedy before you dove in? No, I think I was a funny person, but in a really specific way. Like I'm the youngest of a bunch of kids. So and I was a very shy child. So it's kind of one of those things where I picked my moments. You know what I mean? Like I would be silent. Mm-hmm. But then when I saw an opening in my family, especially 
I would want to make sure that it landed, you know? Right. So I was not a class clown, but, you know, I was kind of like a sarcastic. I don't want to say sarcastic kid. That sounds horrible. That sounds like the most annoying kid. (laughs) (laughs) No, witty. Yeah, I guess a witty kid. Nobody had suggested comedy to me because I think I just was probably too um, antisocial and shy. Mm -hmm. Um, But... I made people laugh on a regular basis. So, and I think this is still true about me, but my favorite, like, real world comedy in the world and sort of something that I always did as a kid was, like, make strangers laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just have this, like, very adorable child. That was so cute. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was, like, also poor and neglected. So I was, like, dirty and probably smelled terrible, like cigarettes. Like Annie. Yeah, like a street urchin. But then, you know, just like long red pigtails and huge bangs and stuff and freckles. And um, and so I would sort of unexpectedly make like a server or, mm-hmm. you know, the checker at the grocery store laugh for just sort of no reason. And I think that was like some of the earliest kind of impact I had on adults where I was like, oh, if you like just say something crazy, like... Even if it's inappropriate, like they laugh and I really like that attention. Um, And that was sort of like, I guess, my brand of being funny, not like an over the top class clown, like look at me because I did not like attention or being the center of it at all. Um, I still am sometimes uncomfortable with it, although Mm. I'm getting better at it. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, nobody really suggested comedy to me. And I was kind of a fan as a child, but I wasn't like a super fan like when I started in 2010, there were all these people that I still had not heard of, you know, like that was sort of like the beginning of like Hannibal getting a lot of attention and mm. Rory and all these like amazingly funny people. But I didn't know. I wasn't a comedy nerd by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened in your terrible year? Oh, um, well, I lost my job. I wasn't working. So then I lost my place. And I had to move in with my sister, which was very humiliating. Nice of her, though. Um, So I was 30. And um, our grandmother died. My nephew was born, which was great. But he was born, like, severely premature. Mm. And then the whole birth situation was really scary. Like, we we weren't sure if his mom would make it. My sister-in-law. And, um, yeah. And then just um, sort of peripherally, peripherally in Oakland, people were so kind of down and out that... You know, I lost a couple of friends to suicide just Jeez. because they were like, they couldn't pay their bills. You know, like mm-hmm. it was like some deep, like city recession mm-hmm. shit, um, which is so crazy now <laughs> to think about. Um, and, you know, all these like businesses closed in Oakland and it was just a very dark time. And I had a tooth fall out. Mm-hmm. Well, I had like a tooth from an old root canal. That this sounds so trivial compared to the other things. But you know when no, something but my happens with your teeth. Yes, my listeners know because the saga of my teeth earlier this year. I had to get two crowns. Oh and yeah, I really talked about it too much. So oh, okay. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but it, but then if you add on to that situation, like not having money or resources, mm-hmm. there's something about of all the health issues you can have when something happens with your teeth. And you can't afford to like make it better. Mm-hmm. It's like very depressing. Yeah. Because it's in your face. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, my life is in shambles. I'm too broke to even afford a crown. They just pulled it out. I still have a hole there. Mm-hmm. It's in the back. It's fine. You yeah. Know? I can't see it. It's not like it. it's in the front. Um, 
But it was just sort of all the, there were like big things and small things that were mm-hmm. just kind of adding up, like relationship stuff and whatever. Um, and, but I think like a lot of people on the brink of 30 have similar years. You yeah. Know? So if you're listening and you're 28 or 29 <laughs> and you want to kill yourself, don't do it. Don't do it. It's um, going to turn around. They're terrible years. Yeah. But then your 30s are great for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely comedy changed that for me. I mean, it kind of put me on a path, gave me a purpose and a whole new, you know, set of friends and um, a passion. And yeah, it worked out. So what was your joke that uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans said was one of the fiercest jokes they'd ever had? Oh, I have a joke about police killings. Isn't that fun? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I think. Is it on your album? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it is on my album. So it starts as a joke about catcalling. And the joke is like, you know, that I'm not telling the joke because that's always embarrassing to do. But, <laughs> you know, someone's catcalling me in Oakland. And, you know, I say like men there are pretty forward because, you know, you don't know at any second you could be shot by a cop. So you have to go <laughs> for it. And that's like not a very NBC primetime kind of joke. Mm-hmm. Um and they, you know, a lot of that show is scripted, of course, but they sort of built this whole discussion around it because then Norm was like, you shouldn't be telling that joke, which he doesn't really think. But they like, you know, they scripted this mm-hmm. conversation, basically. And then Keenan was like, well, this is what white people need to talk about because, you know, that's who uh, everyone listens to and whatever and like it's an important discussion and she made it funny and so it just became this thing that they used like in the promo and and there was like a is this comedian too dark for norm mcdonald you know like just this really (laughs) cheesy thing so it ended up getting a lot of attention and i got like a good mix of like nice tweets and hate tweets really yeah, yeah. I mean, there were like a there was a good number of black folks on Twitter that were like upset about the joke, and I'm like, um, sorry. You know, I just try to listen. That's a that's when, all we that's what we're supposed to do is listen. On your <laughs> album, you I, you qualified it as wrongfully shot by a cop. Yes, exactly. Had you not said that on the show? No, I did. You did. Yeah, okay. yeah, I did. Um, which is you know, it's I mean, I don't know. It's kind of a semantics thing. <laughs> I don't know that there are that many situations where someone should be fatally shot right. by a cop in end or any circumstance. It's interesting that you got pushback against the joke from people on Twitter because I feel like it's 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 a Black Lives Matter joke. I don't know. This yeah. is that whole thing. But I am not black. So, yeah. Right. And, and that was, um, I was r- pretty new in comedies. So, I mean, that was like four years ago now. I think today it would have been a bigger backlash um, just because it's like maybe not my place to talk about, you yeah. know, and that's I guess I just I don't think you're making well, I guess the argument is you're making light of this horrible societal problem, yeah. m- whereas I feel like you're the, the butt of the joke is the cops. But yeah. I get it. Like, you know, it's that whole argument about like should certain topics be off limits for comedy, which I don't think they should, right. but yeah. got into some. Well, there were also a lot of people um, of all races that, uh, you know, were saying they were grateful that I told the joke. So I don't know. But it's also, if I have any kind of brand, <laughs> I don't know when people are like, what's your comedy like? Yeah. Which what's is a terrible question. <laughs> I have a, a number of jokes where the 
the point is that power structures are complicated, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like in this situation where I feel unsafe because I'm at a bus stop alone at night and a dude is catcalling me or whatever. And then it's a moment of like, you have power over me. And then, oh, here's a way that I often have power over you. And um, and how like social structures are fucked up. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and which I have another joke about now too, because I was in West Hollywood and a homeless guy called me fat, and that was like, okay, well, I've been eating food at my house, so, um, <laughs> so I mean, I have a number of jokes like that where it's like I'm kind of the bad guy, but I started out as the victim or whatever, so it, I don't know. So far, I haven't had a lot of people mad about any joke that I've told. I've certainly had limits put on me, you know, like um, I'm working on a late night set right now, but hopefully will happen. But can you say for him? No. Okay. Um, But cross your fingers. Um, But they were like, yeah, I see your point of view, but but we don't want that to be construed as making fun of homeless people, you know? So mm-hmm. it's already changed in the last four years because NBC did that joke and that's like NBC and, um, you know, a late night show that's just a comedy spot um, is like definitely being more shy about some right. of these topics, which is totally fine. I understand. But for the most part, when I've, I don't know, I haven't had a lot of people mad at me. I think there's something I'm like, maybe still have that kind of freckled little girl <laughs> in me somewhere where people are like, are we mad at her? Cause I don't know. She seems sweet. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who has become very freckled, as I've gotten older, yeah, I, I have to it. ask, I have to ask the freckle question, the one that the listeners are dying for me to ask. You've mentioned twice now that you are a freckly little kid, but uh-huh. I've seen zero oh, freckles. What, yeah. where did they go? Well, right now, cause it's winter, but like around, you know, April, uh, May, when I get any sun for an extended time, I'm pretty covered at least on my face and certain parts of my body. Gotcha. But- See, I feel like mine um, like we ju- we went to Hawaii, and I'm not. By the way, I'm not the kind of person who's a jet setting go to Hawaii person. <laughs> it had been a really long time since we had gone anywhere, uh, and we went to Hawaii for Thanksgiving. And the freckles, like, moved down. Usually, they're just across the bridge of my nose and and like my cheekbones, and then then now they're migrating down my face. And I feel like I could not go in the sun for another six years, and they're still going to be there. I Once love I get it. them, I they don't freckles. go away. Yeah, they look great on you. But I'm interested in the fact that yours come out and then fade. Yeah. Mine just come out, I mean, they're and then they're there. I have, like, some makeup on, a little bit of, like, foundation, so maybe that's why. But, yeah, they come, they get pretty pronounced Perhaps. in the summer. Mm-hmm. Now, you grew up Baptist? Yes, yeah, it's an interesting story. I kind of ra- my sister and I raised ourselves Baptist. My parents were not religious. Wow. Um, but in the East Bay, we lived a block away from this church, and they would kind of recruit um, children in the neighborhood in a van, which is so creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they would pick you up. Yeah, like they would br- part of their like um, you know their one of their missions was like. They would drive around the neighborhood in this van and say, like, we'll take your kids to church if you want. And I think my dad was like, oh, that's when football's on. So I'm sorry about this puppy. Oh, no, it's okay. He's being a rascal. He's really cute. 
Um, and I don't know why he's so wound up. I think he wants to meet your dog and he knows there's one here. Mm-hmm. And he's like, where is it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so my sister and I really took to it and much to the eventual chagrin of our parents because then you, they had this like five and seven year old little girls coming home and being like, mm, we learned that you're going to hell. Did you guys know that? Like, were your parents not religious at all? No, not at all. But they were somehow fine with us going to this extremely conservative Baptist church, especially for the Bay Area, like just a little alcove of conservatism, um, like no secular music, no dancing, no even PG-13 movies, um, wow. like really intense Baptist church and... They were fine with it, so I stuck with it for a very long time, as did my sister. What do you think appealed to you guys about it? And was it your sister who was next in age with yes, you? Yes, yeah. So two older, yeah, two years older than me. Mm-hmm. But you guys were the two youngest. Yes, exactly. So we were very impressionable. But also we were neglected. I think that was the big thing because we had a, we found a community at church. We found adults that like took an interest in us, mm-hmm. which... Um, there's a dark side to that that I'll mention in a second, but, uh, you know, there were like old church ladies who would make sure that we were fed and like our hair was combed and whatever and drop food off at our house, Mm -hmm. um, and pray for us. I can imagine that attention would feel good. Oh yeah. And it was something that we had never really known before. And then there were other kids there. Um, and a lot of those kids were in similar situations. So we just really, without the church, I never would have done any activity. You know what I mean? Like kids like go to soccer or play an instrument or whatever. Like my parents were not those kinds of parents. Mm. They didn't take an interest. They also didn't have any money for that kind of stuff. So so at church, we went to camp and we played softball and we played volleyball and all these things. And we were brownies um, or whatever, like the Christian version of brownies was. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's all this stuff that we wouldn't have done otherwise. And I think that's mostly why we stuck with it because um, the church took care of us. And then, but we had this youth pastor. Is this the dark Jeff side? Jeff Dallin. Yeah. Who... Um, uh, we spent tons of time with, and my sister would like babysit his kids and stuff when we got a little bit older and we went to camp with him. He would pick us up, drop us off. Nothing ever happened to us, but um, at some point he just disappeared mm. and he was like moved to Oklahoma and it was kind of devastating. He was like this real father figure for us and he moved with no notice. Then we found out, oh, this happened the same year when I started comedy when all the horrible things mm-hmm. happened. Um, he went to prison for molesting like 50 children. Wow. Uh, of bo- all genders and um, it, very in, young. In the church? In his new church in Oklahoma. Uh-oh. And he became a music teacher in a Christian school. So I get the feeling he was on the run when he showed up in the Bay Area mm. and then maybe fucked up again and had to get out of there quick. And the right. church probably helped him hide it, mm-hmm. which is so sick. Um and so it was this kind of thing when that came out and we were like contacting old church people again to be like, isn't this terrible? You know, we spent so much time with that guy. And well, first, the first call I made was to my sister to be like, did he? Mm-hmm. And my sister, okay, listen, this is shaky territory, but 
I'm not saying some kids are more likely to be molested, but my but sister are. is a real people pleaser. Uh-huh. Um, she just wants to make people happy. She's always been like that. And adults, especially because we were neglected. So I was just like, fuck, I just know he got her. So she said, no, wait, he- now I have to qualify that because <laughs> now I'm now you're on you're on the shaky territory. And I'm like, here, let me hop on with you. Yeah. And now it's really wobbling when I because you said it's not like certain kids are more likely to be molested than others. And I said, but they are what I meant by that. So before anyone fires <laughs> off a testy tweet, <laughs> yeah, what I meant by that is there are certain hallmarks of the kids that these people go after usually and it usually is kids who whose parents aren't smothering them you know right that's okay and we're yeah that's we just need to like shift the perspective right i I was just being funny also to like make fun of my sister (laughs) um as part of my crazy dark comedy right um no there are kids that are more likely to be groomed by these kids who are they know they're craving attention from adults yeah and there's the the opportunity because their parents aren't like helicopter parents yeah and i i also think that they will target kids that they think are less likely to talk and more easily manipulated right right um obviously (laughs) this would not have been my sister's fault but she is a people pleaser. That mm-hmm. is true. She still is. Um, she's very codependent. Okay, she's not listening to this. Um, so she was my first call. Like, did he get you? And she said no. And I was like, thank God. And then we started to think about all the people we went to church with. And it was so sad. And then um, as we're kind of calling around, and again, this is a very conservative church. And within um, a few years before that, a kid that we had grown up with had just recently come out fairly late, like in his late 20s. And that was something that all the church people knew about. His name was Jimmy, just for context. And so once you start talking to these church people to be like, isn't this horrible about Jeff Dallin, who molested all these children? And one of the ladies who had partially like taken care of us as kids said, well, at least he didn't turn out like Jimmy. And it was like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. that's how fucking crazy these people were that molesting like 50 children was not as bad as, as being, being a gay, gay. man. But then I was like, my head is. But spinning. also, some of those kids were boys, so that's like pretty much the gayest thing you can do. Yeah, <laughs> like molest a little boy. Um, <laughs> it was oh so it's just like so warped, you know. And then there's this real like no accountability. They're like, oh, the devil got him, you know. Uh. Satan worked on his heart, and and um, Satan won, and we're praying for him. And I'm like, okay, well, we're praying for the kids, yeah, that got fucking molested. You freaks. <laughs> and then those are like the people that we grew up with. So it was really, yeah, it was, it was a, we were being taken care of in this very specific way by like old church ladies. But then it was also with just this like really warped perspective. Did you ever buy into that warped perspective? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I felt guilty constantly as a child for doing like normal things. Mm. Like just like wanting to listen to boys to men. <laughs> and if you don't think they're angels directly from heaven, you're, messed up so when did, have you heard their harmonies when did you break from the church i mean i'm assuming that based on the way you're talking you're not you don't believe any of that anymore no i mean i have a podcast about religion now um i full i started to break in college i went to berkeley so it's kind of hard to not but um it was a slow trend just like the first my first year at berkeley i was still like going to people's park and like giving 
hot chocolate to homeless people to try to save them. So, but I never really found a church that I wanted to be in in college. And and then, you know, I was getting educated. So, um, it's, my perspective on religious people is always shifting. But at the time, I was like, oh, I can see how when you get a lot of education that religion doesn't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't fit for me. I wanted to have sex. I wanted to try drinking, you know, like I had gay friends. My sister's gay. And it just didn't really match up. Your sister up. who was in the church? The another, the okay. other sister, yeah. Um, and that was a thing where when she came out, the religious sister said, well... If we ever have children, our children cannot play together. And now they're best friends and it's all fine. And then she's like her nanny. (laughs) Um, But that's like how deep in we were. Yeah, we totally bought in to all of it. And now I'm like, I hear about people who have like, I did a gig at a church a few weeks ago and they were like drinking beer. And I was like, you guys are chill. (laughs) Like, (laughs) If this is the kind of church that I'd grown up in where you have like a regular comedian and like a bar night, then yeah, I probably would have fucking stayed in it. Because I like the community of it. Mm -hmm. So I know you, so you're up in the Bay Area. At some point you lived in Portland Mm -hmm. and then you moved down here. Um, When did you move down here and why? Down here being LA. I've been here two and a half years. I mean, I moved here because I had to. I went to New York first for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, that is truthfully where I would prefer to be. But my whole family's still in the Bay, and my mom lives like an hour and a half away from L.A. So I just, I don't know. And everyone I kind of was closest to in Portland was also coming to L.A. Mm-hmm. Did you come down at the same time as Sean Jordan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sean Jordan's one of my best friends, and Bree Pruitt, and... Um, Joanne Shinderly, Gabe Dinger, like all these comics, Ian Carmel, like they were here. And um, also most of the people I was closest to in Bay Area comedy. Mm -hmm. So it was just like the more obvious move, I think. But yeah, I mean, we have to go to one or the other. Right. To answer why. (laughs) Um, Do you feel like L.A. is better than New York for comedy? I think that L.A. is better for um, all of the other kind of peripheral opportunities, um, like get, making some commercial money and auditioning for movies and um, all of that kind of stuff. But for stand-up, New York is hands down better, which is why I would prefer to be there mm-hmm. just for my own like personal growth in stand-up. Um but now I just try to go out there as much as I can, which is almost like sometimes better because if you go to New York and you're like limited time only, you know, I'm mm-hmm. here for two weeks, then you can get a lot of shows. Um, but I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of great shows here. It's just a totally different kind of stand up. Um, it's certainly a more sensitive um, community. Um, there's a lot more patience here for kind of people phoning it in I think Mm -hmm. on stage or being like too cool for comedy but still doing it there's this whole LA aesthetic that's like whatever I don't even care about this set it's (laughs) like why are you taking up stage time then you know and if you do that shit in New York you get eaten alive you know and do you see that at alternative clubs and at like what is the what is the alternative to the alternative mainstream comedy clubs? Yeah, or? in LA. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I kind of see it at both. I mean, I wouldn't say there's a lot of people on like the main stage of the comedy store like Phoning saying whatever about comedy. I mean, they all have a respect for it, even if they're some of them are terrible at it, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, at that level, like everyone's taking it pretty seriously. But even if you, you know, I mean, they're. Yeah, you can always find people going up at even like the mainstream clubs who are just like leaning against the wall and just like, what do you guys want to talk about? You know, <laughs> and I think that it's not just the stand up community in New York that prevents that. It's also the audiences because it's so many um, tourists or people from other countries and they, they really just came to see like the top of mm-hmm. stand up, you know. And so if you're on a show with like, a range of like new people who are extremely good up to like legends. You just have to sort of bring your a game all the time. And there's not, you know, it's zippy, you know, like people don't have a lot of patience and, and if there are a lot of New Yorkers in the room, it's even worse, (laughs) frankly. Um, they just really want you to get to the jokes, which I love, you know, Mm -hmm. it's really a better workout. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The LA scene is, interesting it's also in a way more supportive of women so then Mm -hmm. i'm kind of torn on that um but i don't know i guess when i've hung out in new york i've never sort of said something that i thought was um charming and funny that hurt someone's feelings (laughs) and that has happened out here yeah that kind of stuff happens all the time not just to me but just like you know i don't know it's i guess because there's such a roast culture out there but here it's like people have a lot of feelings i don't know it's weird because it's so sunny is it (laughs) it seems like they'd be happier is it conveyed to you via social media or people saying stuff to you at clubs um a little bit of both and just that i think here like people don't expect to be drowning people you know, it's like even as a kid, you grow up and I mean, I grew, I'm from the Bay Area, which is extremely expensive. But still, I always thought of New York as this like impossible place to live. Right. Where if you go, you know, people say if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere like you expect to be drowning. Mm-hmm. And I think that people in their first few years in L.A. and comedy don't anticipate that. And then it hits them that it's like very hard also to be here. Mm-hmm. In some ways, the weather makes it worse because you're like. I shouldn't be depressed about my career right. when I have a pool <laughs> and I can go in it 365 days a year pretty much. Um, and so there is sort of like a deep depression that kind of settles in. And I don't know, people just get a lot of feelings and then that affects their work. I don't really know what it is. It's a very strange scene. I will say when I'm in New York, not as many people bail on shows because they're feeling anxious, <laughs> which happens here a considerable amount of the time. Mm-hmm. And, and that's another thing is like, if you're at, you know, the stand or the cellar or whatever, you can see, you can go around the corner and see Judah or David Tell like sitting at a coffee shop working on their jokes and they hustle and they do multiple sets a night. And that's, something that is normal even if you're famous Mm -hmm. and in la you book famous people on your show and they do not show up and that (laughs) is just sort of an accepted thing because they're like i'm writing on this late night show i'm writing on this sitcom or i was acting all day so i just can't make it right and it's like it just never happens out there Mm -hmm. i mean it has to be an extreme example and people are like 
mean, yeah, I've seen it tell like smoking in the snow, like jotting things down. Um, and that's like a normal thing. No matter what level you get to, you still do your sets. That is not the case in LA. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like a lazier culture, I guess. The travel makes it hard too, you know. If you live in Sherman Oaks, you're like not trying to hustle over for an unpaid mm-hmm. bar set in wherever. But still, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. In New York, I think the thing is like you're gonna do a number of sets a night. Yeah. Which means traveling all over, and then also like maybe going and doing someone's podcast or video show that's like across, like in New Jersey or something at yeah. the very end of the night. Whereas out here. Are people driving to do multiple sets? Seems like you do the one. The good ones are. Yeah. I mean, I'm always like amazed by people who have like just hit to like someone like Nicole Byer is a great example. She didn't even come from stand up. You know, she came from improv and now she's blown up and she's still she shows up for every set and she crushes it and she likes performing. Mm-hmm. And I think that people who are true comics and wanted to be it really be a comic and not an actor like they will always show up Mm -hmm. so there i guess there are just sort of more actors in our scene here um but it's the yeah it's the norm in new york that you show up for your sets and you do as many as possible and that and there is pride just in that work ethic but that's why you know in la people end up kind of um marrying themselves to like the store or the improv because you can do six sets there in a night and not leave the building mm-hmm. and, you know, park in the back. And it's like convenient for Bill Burr to do that and get all of his reps in. Um, but he's not, you know, dropping into other random shows. <laughs> and is stand up like, do you consider yourself a true comic in that acting is not where you have an ambition? Well, I have an ambition in both because I want to make money. Um, and I do like acting and, I really like doing voice work, which I've been doing more of. Um, But if I go several days without doing a set, I feel weird. Mm -hmm. I feel very strange. And that is how I came into all of this. And I think it's alarming when you get to the point where you're like, oh, God, am I a comic? Like, what a nightmare, you know? (laughs) But yeah, I'd say I am a true comic in that way where it's my priority and Agents hate to hear this, by the way, but I see any other opportunities as like a way for me to get to do more stand up. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I, you know, am on TV, um, I see that as like that's more people that will come to see me. That's longer sets I can do Mm -hmm. because then you go from feature to headliner, whatever. Like it's all in the interest of doing more stand up. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm a real comic in that way. But that's also like really embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> if you don't you say that you begin to feel weird if you don't do it for a few days what is the feeling it's kind of an antsiness and then sometimes it like really borders on depression i mean i think there's a chemical high from comedy because there's adrenaline involved there's kind of like that social validation kind of high it's a very strange thing chemically and i think not enough people recognize that it is chemical because i think it took me a few years to even figure out what it was. Like I would early on, like I would go like two weeks without doing a set and be like, why do I feel like I can't get out of bed Mm -hmm. and then go do one and feel normal again. It's so sick. You mentioned (laughs) it's all just embarrassing. (laughs) I think that's what all perform. All performers have it on on some level though. (laughs) 
and all performing is sick in a way. Yeah. yeah uh, you mentioned really that you had a lot of stage fright. Do you still have that? No, not so much. Sometimes I miss it now. I will have it if it's like a big opportunity or kind of a new space that's a large space or like I sometimes open for Segura and he's now, you know, I started the first time I worked with him, he was in a club, like not even sold out. And now he's just like selling out theater tours. So because he's so good and I respect him so much, I'll sometimes get butterflies for his crowd, even mm-hmm. though they're very nice and very easy. And they're just like, Tom likes you. We like you, which is a gift. But yeah, I'll get nervous in those moments. But for the most part on regular shows, I don't. And I, I do sometimes miss it because mm-hmm. it really it's this very specific energy, you know, and um, it's a really specific it's a high. So I mean, you don't get that as much anymore. It's kind of a bummer. But if there's if there are stakes, I still get it for sure. Um, but not in the beginning. I just thought constantly I was going to shit my pants <laughs> and I really came close a couple of times um, and I would black out like I th- like I knew that there were laughs and I would try to record stuff so I could know what it sounded like. But in the moment, I was not there like I was on another planet. Mm-hmm. I was so, so blacked out nervous. It, I mean, it was like three minutes felt like an eternity and now it's like the open mic at the comedy store is three minutes. And I'm like, how the fuck do you do three minutes? Like, I, I don't even know how to do that anymore. It's so interesting that you state. I mean, the way you describe it makes it sound unpleasant. <laughs> and yet you stuck with it. So obviously it was worthwhile to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the laughs are a specific high. And, you know, we all crave validation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think about this a lot. How people stick with it when they are bad for a long time. Yeah. (laughs) It seems like hell. You have to really love comedy to do that or really need or want the community. I don't... If I hadn't gotten laughs the first set, I probably wouldn't have gone back. But it went okay, so I came back. And then you have this dip where like the second and third are Mm -hmm. not as good. But people are bad for years and they keep coming. See, I did stand up for like a second... And my first was incredible, you know, and then yeah. and then it took a dip. But then I didn't stick with it long enough to come out of the dip because I was like, I don't love this enough. Yeah. Yeah. You have to really love it. And that's there are more people do. I mean, that's why there are so many fucking comedians. There are more people doing it badly because they love it than like I think we lose probably. Well, I didn't see your set, but I know from early on, like in my original scene, like we probably lost some people who were going to be great because they had a couple bad sets and they just didn't love it enough Mm -hmm. to keep having that feeling. Cause it's a fucking terrible feeling. (laughs) Um, and doing well feels great. So it's, yeah. And it's just such a, I watched that documentary American meme last night. Oh yeah. We, I, we watched most of it. Um, I fell asleep, which is not a comment on American meme. It's a comment on me being <laughs> up late and, and being pregnant. Not, yeah. I'm being pregnant. <laughs> um, yeah. What were you gonna say about oh, it? But a couple of those people are like comedy fans or at least a fan of performance. Mm-hmm. So they're like multimillionaires from like being social media famous and they're still like, but I wish I could have been a comic. And I'm like, <laughs> why? Yeah. <laughs> 
not I mean I love it but I'd also love to have millions of dollars right. that yeah, American, they feel empty yes <laughs> American meme it just like the whole thing just seems exhausting to be a social media star it just seems exhausting yes yes and to some extent it's also exhausting to be a comedian but right but they're they a couple of them like the vine star girl who's Brittany Furlong Tommy Lee. Yeah. yeah I had never heard of half of these people which is mm-hmm. so strange i'm not very cool but um, well no it's a, it's like a niche thing yeah and I, maybe i'm a little too old for a couple of them obviously i know the fat jew um <laughs> and then the krillin guy or whatever mm-hmm. um, i hadn't i didn't know of him he, me either he's like a huge comedy fan and both of them at some point in the documentary are like whatever we get from this like it doesn't feel the same as mm-hmm. validation on stage and um i'm like all right, well, thanks for making me grateful, social media <laughs> idiots. Like, because, you know, I heard that and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I guess it is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. When it goes well. Right. But yeah, just shocked by the number of people that fail at it and keep at it. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, let's do some segments. So uh, I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go for all that fun stuff. And we have a couple people that sent in questions. When we ask, they send them in They're wondering how you have been So thanks so much for answering These questions from our fans Whitney C. says, What's the last thing you screenshot? Um, let me check. What an interesting question. You know what's so funny is it may actually be a penis, which is so embarrassing. <laughs> because my friend Powell Mansfield, who's a comedian, was... Yeah. Okay. I'll show it to you. This is so unlikely that this would happen. But my friend, pal Mansfield, who's a comic in Atlanta, who's very funny, was like, do you want to see this crazy penis I got on Grindr? And I was like, yeah, of course. Yeah. And then I thought it looked like a giant finger. So I screenshot it to then like put a fingernail polish on it. <laughs> it totally looks like a and big veiny like, nail. This guy slapped his <laughs> penis on top of like a wooden countertop <laughs> and took a picture of it. And I, I would have like, thought that was a finger. Pal, that looks like a finger, but also that's so embarrassing that it in fact was a penis. <laughs> and before that, my last screenshot was um, Post Malone following me on Twitter for some unknown reason. Just so I sent it to my boyfriend to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then I can't a, believe it was a dick. I think that's great. So, so I like the way, I like the way you decorated it. <laughs> the nail and a ring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa Van Dyke wants to know, are you a hunter or a gatherer? Hmm. Huh, I wonder what she means. Right. Like I know. Rela- in I my was, relationship? I think just in life. I don't know. Yeah, I was trying to think like, what is... Because I've heard, you know, you hear the phrase hunter and ga- hunter gather, hunter gather society. The men are the hunters, women are the gather. That was the di- original division of labor, right? The yeah. men are the hunters, mm-hmm. women are the gatherers. But what does that mean? Because does that mean that, means that they put themselves in danger, I guess, and do like the scary work to support the community or the family? And then we like gather the spoils okay make you know prepare the food and cut the meat up and whatever i don't know that's a really interesting one um i guess i'm a little bit of both Mm -hmm. i'd probably lean more gather than hunter but it sounds like what career-wise you go for what you want 
Yeah, I'm pretty aggressive with my career for sure. Um, I'm definitely not waiting on someone to bring opportunities to me. So in that case, I am a hunter. But in my life, which I think would maybe surprise people who don't know me but follow me and or are a fan, like I'm pretty um, domestic. Mm -hmm. I love to just decorate and make things homey and cook and... um, just be in the service of a man. <laughs> no, I actually strangely do like to um, do nice things for my man, which is so it's a, when I get trolls on Twitter that are like, you hate men, like just based on my tweets. I'm like, mm. why have I given them everything then my entire <laughs> fucking life? Why? That's not something that you do for, you know, if you hate them. Yeah, I hate them so much. I'm just cooking for one right now. But. <laughs> um. Okay, I have a new segment. This is its maiden voyage. So I'm going to workshop it on you. Okay, that's and exciting. And if, if you hate it, then um, I'll internalize that. I'll, ta- I'll really take that in. <laughs> Blame yourself. Yeah. Okay, it is called How Dare You. Okay. And it is super nosy, overly personal questions. And there's three categories you can choose from. And if, the que- if you don't want to answer it, you can just say, how dare you? Oh man, this is hard because I have no um, boundaries. boundaries. Yeah. Well, you're the perfect With person. Myself. Then. Okay, so the <laughs> categories are sex, money, or relationships. And I will add categories, but this is what occurred to me when I was putting this together. Mm. Um, I guess we'll go sex first. Keep it spicy. Okay. How did you lose your virginity? Oh, well, it's not that exciting. It's kind of romantic, which is gross. Well, that's sweet. Well, I started um, dating a boyfriend in high school. Which I have a joke about because like I don't know how I got one. I was so weird and I was super Christian and he wasn't religious. Um, And then we ended up both going to Berkeley. So for just like slowly sliding into a bit and I'm trying not to. (laughs) Um, But for like almost four years, we did like everything but sex. Like he was so patient. Because you were Christian. Because I was Christian. He was very respectful of it. Um. And in the joke, I say we end up finding a lot of loopholes in my body. Um, right. God's blind spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. did, did you really, though? Um, yeah. We kind of did everything else, mm-hmm. which is like hot. Now I think about it. It was like all for me. Because <laughs> um, now, you know, when you're in a relationship for an, enough time and you're just like, let's get to the fucking, you know, and. <laughs> And um, how long have you been with your current boyfriend? Uh, three years. Mm-hmm. So then we both went to college, didn't have sex, didn't have sex. And then finally, once I kind of was getting more out of um, Christianity, I was like, I got big news and we're going to do it. <laughs> I guess it's interesting that I lost it doggy style. I don't know why that was my like, I was like, this is just how I've pictured it. I'm sorry if it's weird. And he's like, all right. Like, <laughs> I mean, I've been waiting four years, so I'll do it literally however you yeah. want. And then, yeah, we loved each other so much. It was like cute. And it was um, kind of painful, but not super painful because we had put other stuff up there. Mm-hmm. So it was like a right. little bit broken. And, but sure. he was like my only one and so yeah i lost my virginity to a boyfriend that i loved it's so dumb that's really sweet though <laughs> why'd you guys break up um he went to study abroad in italy okay this is an interesting story i'll try to make it brief but he went to study it was just kind of done you know if you bring your high school boyfriend into your college life it never really goes that well i mm-hmm. feel like i'm puzzled by people who are 
high school sweethearts that stayed together a long time because um, we both needed to experience other stuff and other people. And so he was going abroad. So we just made an agreement to like break up before he went abroad. And then while he was in Italy, he met a girlfriend almost immediately. He ended up marrying that woman and they were together for 13 years, 12 or 13 years until just before I met my current boyfriend, I saw on social media that he had gotten a divorce and I'm a creep and I was single. So I hit him up and then we had sex again 13 years later. Wow. And by that point, he had... Was that just a hookup? Just a hookup. I was very blatant about it. Like, I was like, I think this would be hilarious if we did this again. And he's hot. Um, But at that point, assuming he did not cheat on his wife, which I don't think he would, because he's just such a stand-up guy, he had been with two people in his life. Wow. And we were, you know, in our 30s already. And I had been with... A million. I don't know. <laughs> so it was really weird. It was very weird to revisit the penis that you lost your virginity yeah, to. Yeah, I bet. Okay, that was a very long answer, but... No, but I. But it was a good answer. He's also like a multimillionaire, so that kind of makes me mad, but... We broke up, and then he became like one of the Is he a first guy? employees at Google. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's sweet. Did you like Berkeley? I did. I Well, yes. I, I mean, I... I had a hard time. I started early. I started at 17. Um, Did you graduate early or you were just had a birthday that no, falls? No, I ended up graduating on, I almost did five years, so it ended up all No, I mean, did out. you graduate high school early? Oh, yes. Yeah, I was just behind from kindergarten, so I started high school at 13. So I was always the youngest person in my class just from a weird birthday, but also because I was like, uh, you know, I started reading at three and mm-hmm. all this crazy stuff. Um, I did like it. I didn't go to class a lot because I was severely depressed and had super bad social anxiety. And I had like six jobs. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to do college and pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> I was the first person in my family to go to college. Oh, wow. So I just was always working and I was always tired. Just I just remember being so sleepy as a teenager. <laughs> um, I did like it. I would have liked it a lot more if I had started at like 22 or something. Right. But yeah, I worked in the video store that whole time and like, it was fun. What did you major in? Sociology. I was supposed to be a social worker and I did it for a while before I got into music. Mm -hmm. Did you get burned out? On that particular job, I was working with foster kids and like trying to like place them in mostly um, gay families, which was great. But I had to read their cases like all day and it was very dark Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, I'm really young and I haven't dealt with my own traumatic childhood yet. So I probably shouldn't be bombarding myself with this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm going to take a break. And then that break just ended up very long. Do you feel like you've dealt with your own traumatic childhood now? Um, Yeah, for the most part. I mean, things always come up. You know, it's the holidays. My family's having a big conflict right now. So it's like you always kind of look at the root of that, especially in sibling dynamics. Um, but for the most part, I think I've dealt with it. Mm. There's always like a sort of, my dad died very young. So there's always like this kind of hole where you're like, I don't necessarily miss him, but you just always are a person that grew up without a dad. And there's like a very specific feeling to that. I was nine. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so it's not fixable. It's just like, you just look at it every once in a while and make sure you know, if that's affecting like how you interact with men, like right. the partners you pick. 
but it's just there. So it's like, there's no real dealing with it. You just are a person without a dad. Your website bio, I believe it's your website bio, says you lost two dads. Oh, yeah. So, same, that same horrible year. I can't believe I missed this big thing. Um, my mom told me that my, that dad that died wasn't my real dad. Oh, wow. She like got outed by a family member. It was this whole thing. So then at 30, I found out like I have a different dad. That guy's also dead, but he died when I was 20. So she had all this opportunity to introduce me to him uh, and she didn't. Were you angry? So it was kind of like a second loss. Yeah. But of someone I didn't know. Oh yeah. I was so angry. I didn't talk to her for like two years, but now we're fine. <laughs> she lives close to here. I talk to her all the time. But yeah, that was like also sort of a re-traumatizing, right? Because I lost a second dad, but then also it completely changed our perspective on our original dad Mm -hmm. because he was not very nice. And then when you're an adult and you're like, oh, this guy's like wife was cheating on him, had a whole baby that he had to help raise yeah, he's going to be pissed off, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, no wonder he was so grumpy. And so are you, of the siblings, are you the only one with that other dad? Yes, the only one with that one. And then my brother has an even different dad. So we have four kids by three different dads. My mom's a slut. <laughs> and, and was that out in the open that your brother had a different dad? Yes, and he still doesn't. That guy's alive. He still doesn't really know him. But yeah, so we're like all half siblings. We don't say that. We don't use that term. Mm-hmm. find it offensive. <laughs> um, but we all grew up together. So you're like war buddies at that point. Why didn't your mom tell you? Because she's a coward. I don't know. I think there was, you know, obviously. Did your siblings know? My brother knew only. And that was another part of this whole crisis year was that, like I said, like your siblings are your war buddies when right. you grow up with like abuse and neglect. And so I was like, more hurt that he kept a secret from me than that my mom did. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, it's all perspective. He's 10 years older than me. So he was also a teenage boy who was effectively like raising three sisters, which no one should be in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, and she told him when he was like 17 or something like, hey, Amy's dad is not her dad. You know, that's a lot to carry around. And now when I look at a 17-year-old boy, I'm like, oh, I mean, they can't, they can't do anything. Yeah. And my brother was like a father. Um, so, you know, it's all just like you're mad and then you have to jump into their shoes and now we're fine and I understand why he did that. But yeah, so he knew for a long time. Mm. But then it was just a snowball because our dad died and then the other guy died and she was like, well, I can't tell her now. Like, hey, you have a dad out there, but... Had. Yeah. (laughs) Or, you know, because he didn't know is the other thing. Oh, oh, wow. And you can't go to a guy. Yeah. For some reason, she was aware that he had very bad cancer when he had it, but you can't go to a guy on his deathbed and be Mm -hmm. like, by the way, you have a daughter. Bye. So, and, you know, my mom was an alcoholic, and I think she just drank it away. Mm -hmm. And, uh... Yeah, so I didn't know till I was thirty, and it's mostly blown over now. I've got, I got to know my when it all came out. I like hunted down his family. I got to know my um, a paternal uncle, and then he died. <laughs> so that was fun. Just a couple years ago, 
And he was my only real link to my birth father. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was great. He was so sweet. He gave me a lot of information, pictures, told me all about him. And he didn't have any kids. He was very happy to like invest in someone, Mm -hmm. you know, a young person. I mean, young-ish, but he was old. Um, And then he just died suddenly a couple of years ago. (laughs) It's not funny, but it is. It's nice that you got to know him, though, before that. Yeah. I'm like a black widow for paternal figures like, <laughs> i'm surprised my brother's still alive like thank god he's not old so it's good but right um but yeah i can't I, you know i've had other when you grow up dadless you find father figures kind mm-hmm. of everywhere and um it seems like they all end up kind of dying <laughs> i attach myself to an older man in a non-sexual way by right the way. i never had that hang up thankfully like the father of falling for may december thing yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. have a dad and and yet I had that hang up. So. Yeah, yeah. Now it happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do go for like very um like kind of moody men sometimes. Mm. My dad was moody when he was alive. Mm-hmm. Just like you never know what. Right, I'm pretty Which version of dad, you know, are you getting fun dad today or are we getting mad dad today, yeah. you know? Yeah, I had that a bit. That's got that in itself is crazy making. Totally. Yeah, because yeah, then you're like, okay, well, how do I prevent Mad Dad? Right. And then you start... Makes you read the room well, though. Totally. Yeah, it's good for comedy. But you start dating these guys that are, like, unpredictable, and then you're yeah. like, fuck. You're and if they are dad. predictable, and you are and you haven't worked through your shit, then that's a turnoff. Yeah, you're like, he's too nice yeah. all I the time. I can't recreate my shit with you, so... Yeah, he communicates. I... <laughs> what a pussy dryer. <laughs> Um, okay, let's do just me or everyone. And this is where people write in with things they think or do, and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? And we weigh in. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? Jingling Kite says, annoyed when a celebrity becomes a spokesperson for a brand and they say, I'm teaming up with company here. No, you're not a team. You're just taking their money so they can use your famous face. <laughs> hmm. I think earlier I said that I was teaming up with Kate Hudson and I, I are in know. business together. You did. Yeah. Oh, no, you um, did it. I annoyed Jingling Kite. Uh, I, I know what you mean. You. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not particularly annoyed by that. I just feel like. Everything in the in this world is marketing at this point. Yeah. Um, but I understand where you're coming from. Nina Hartley says, the smell of skunk is not that bad. I can think of much worse smells. Bad breath, dirty diaper, body odor, sour milk, etc. Uh, this is hard because I also enjoy the smell of skunk. You do? Yes. Do I you like, like the gas smell? station smell? No. Okay. I like the smell, but I also kind of like knowing that a skunk is maybe dead. Is that wrong? There's a lot in my neighborhood. So I'm like, okay. fuck them. Yeah. Um, I, a little bit of skunk odor I can handle. But if you've ever been near, let's say, a dog that has been sprayed by a skunk. Yes. It, it's much more intense and like spicy when you're yeah. really close to it. It's true. Yeah. My cat got sprayed this year. For the first time ever, because she goes outside. Mm-hmm. And it was, it like, yeah, it makes your eyes water. Yes. It's more it's chemically, burny. but from far away, it smells yeah. like weed or whatever. And that's fine. Some body odor, I actually am okay with that scent. Like, if it's, 
a stranger mm. driving a cab body odor or like New York in the summer body odor and there's some urine smell mixed in, then then it's like really <laughs> awful. Um, but if it's just like guy who worked out has some musk and he's John Hamm, then it's okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, John Hamm it's pheromones. could shit himself and yeah. he would smell fine. <laughs> um, yeah, it's pheromones. If it's someone you like and right. they're just sweaty. Yeah, I, I always like creepily try to smell my boyfriend when he gets back from the gym mm-hmm. and he's like, stop it, you fucking psycho. <laughs> I'm like, it smells good. <laughs> but classic BO when you're not expecting it. No yeah. Thanks. Yeah. But on the skunk thing, I would say, huh, probably just you. Mm. Uh, Sarah Hearsey says, light a scented candle instead of deep cleaning my house. Deep clean your house. That's just you. Scented candles do not cover up. I like to think they do. I know they don't. And food particles. And no, you got it clean. You're, are you a neat person? I'm a pretty neat person. Well, uh, it's kind of relative. I'm a deep clean person mm-hmm. and I clean, my house is clean, but I have a clothes mountain in my room okay. usually. But a lot of that, I'm always traveling. I always have like half a suitcase open and, and you know, just a pile of clothes. So sometimes there's clutter, but only in the bedroom and then everywhere else, neat, clean, scrub i don't believe in doing the dishes without cleaning the whole kitchen like Mm, that kind of thing right my mom's like that that's why do you ever does this ever happen to you where you travel somewhere you probably travel so often that it doesn't happen to you or maybe it's just me travel somewhere and you got your suitcase full of clothes and you're like do all my clothes have a scent and it's not even a bad one but you're just like i can identify (laughs) and a lot of the weird thing is that i quit smoking 10 years ago at least and yet oftentimes i'm like does all my stuff smell like cigarettes like i think i'm imagining it because <laughs> you have, it doesn't, like phantom cigarettes yeah smell, it doesn't yeah. make sense it's not like and it's also not like the years where it's like well i wasn't smoking but i was in a smoky club like i haven't been exposed to a cigarette in pro- in many years also yeah. so why does my stuff still, still smell like smoke i've definitely had that like if i live in an old apartment or something that has like kind of an odor you yeah. can't get rid of and then when you travel you notice it more right now uh, yeah, I don't have it so much right now. Although I did notice the other day, like there's almost like my clothing mountain. I, I need to have clean a, it up. A mountain scent, <laughs> yeah. mountain fresh. It's actu- mostly clean clothes. <laughs> yeah, it actually just occurred to me that the suitcase. I recently had to change suitcases, so it, this is not going to happen anymore. But the suitcase that I was using before. I had had that since the smoking days. So maybe oh, yeah. it's the, so maybe I'm actually not imagining it and it was the suitcase. It really soaks in. Good thing that that suitcase broke. <laughs> That's what I was saying earlier like cuz I, I was a kid with two smoking parents and many smoking relatives that came over and smoked inside. I must have smelled crazy as a child. Adults must have been really concerned. I think everyone smoked then. But you don't notice it if you live with it. Right. Yeah, did they? <laughs> well, this was the first right, years that mid eighties. I don't maybe probably not that much. Yeah, yeah. So, did you ever smoke? Oh no, no, no. N- maybe like I like studied abroad in Paris for <laughs> a semester, and I like tried it a few times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, sometimes I'll get like if I'm too drunk, I'll try it, but it always makes me nauseous. I I want to smoke. I'm gonna, I'm thinking of taking it up. <laughs> this is not advice. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> this is not for other people. That's just me, not for everyone else. Yeah, and I should say, 
if you're young and impressionable. Just because I smoked a long time ago doesn't mean I think it was a smart thing to do. I just like to get away from a party. Yeah. But I just look at my phone or whatever. Yeah. Go for a walk. Micah Zilla says, dream episodes of TV shows always bore me. No. Mm. I mean, I know what you mean. Did you watch Mr. Robot? Mm -mm. Okay. There was one episode in not the most recent season, but I think the season before that was done in a completely different style because it was like a, I don't know how to describe, I mean, yeah, I don't know how to describe what the regular style was, but this one was like done like a sitcom, like married with children production values. And it was this like a bottle episode, but it was all like nothing, none of it happened. It was all a dream or a fantasy. Mm -hmm. And that tested my patience a little bit. Like, why am I watching an hour of something that didn't happen in the story? It doesn't further the plot. Right. I do not mind a dream episode if it's done well and it like at least contributes to like the character's perspective. Um, I don't like a dream out on like a season or a series like Roseanne style. Like, oh, we were dreaming. I think when it started, which maybe like was Bob Newhart, you know, when it was groundbreaking, mm-hmm. then fine. But a- after that, it's like once you rip it off, because you c- commit all this time to this show, right. and then they're like, it wasn't real, and you're like, fuck you, it was real to me, Roseanne. Wasn't <laughs> um, I never watched Dallas. Did you ever watch Dallas? No, it was before your time. I feel like maybe Dallas. I mean, my mom watched it. All of yeah. it. Yeah, my mom watched Dynasty. Uh, I feel like you were either Dallas or Dynasty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I feel like Dallas, it might have all been a dream. Interesting. I might be wrong. I don't know. Okay. Mike Zilla also says, sometimes when I'm walking in a parking lot or a big open space, I close my eyes and pretend I'm on a treadmill for as long as I can. No, I don't do this, but sometimes if I'm on a treadmill... I'll close my eyes and see how long I can go before I nearly kill myself. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to say that's just you, Mike. Um, Yeah, I've never heard of that. That's interesting. I'm going to try it. I mean, I don't know why you're walking across so many long, empty parking lots. Just get in your car. Yeah. Where are you going? (laughs) Maybe she she has terrible luck with finding parking spaces. Yeah, maybe. And lastly... 33 Tango says, found a food stain on something and had to taste it to figure out what it was. It was ketchup. I'm a gross person, but I don't think I've ever done that. (laughs) (laughs) I try not to taste weird things that I don't know the origin of, but so I'm going to say that's just you, but I'm glad that it was ketchup. I'll say that. Right. And not the myriad of other things that it could be. That's exciting. Um. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I laughed for a full hour because my boyfriend picked up what he thought was a little crumb because it was oh, like no. on a table that we eat at um, in like if we're watching TV. But it was like a small cat dingleberry. <laughs> That's so awful. And he's like, it's poop. And I was like, bah, this is the funniest thing ever. I'm so glad you didn't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> so just don't put stuff in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah, it was so disgusting and so funny. (laughs) Cats are disgusting. Amy Miller, 
It was <laughs> delightful having you on the show. Thank, Thank you. you so this much for so doing fun. this. Um, tell everyone, plug all your things, tell them where they can find you, etc. Oh, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Amy Miller. I have a podcast called Who's Your God, which is great. It might seem like a lot to listen to a religion podcast every week, but it's super funny and we mostly only interview comedians um, and it's hilarious and really just about like what they believe, how they get through the day. Their rituals, a lot more comedians uh, believe in God than you would imagine. Um, so on Twitter, that's Who's Your God cast, and it's everywhere podcasts are found. And then my website is Amy Miller Comedy, and I have a bunch of shows coming up. You can, if you live in Cleveland, actually, I'll be there on January 3rd at the Winchester, just doing one show one night only. So come see me. So there you go. Um, I have a book out, Tropical Attire and Courage and Other Phrases That Scare Me. If you go to alisonrosen.com, there's plenty of places to click. Take you right to Amazon where you can get it available in all formats. Um, I have another podcast. So there's this podcast, which you're listening to. If you'd like what you're hearing, subscribe, leave a comment, etc. Um, and then I have another podcast with Greg Fitzsimmons. It is called Childish. Um, it's really fun. Check it out. And you can get that anywhere you get podcasts or at childishpod.com. I'm on Twitter at Allison Rosen and Instagram at Allison Rosen. Thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? We had a good time.